Thank you. Good morning. How are you doing today? I really enjoyed, you know, uh, the introduction. Thank you very much for this great introduction and uh, being here with you today. So uh, we're going to have like a little bit of a discussion with each other. Number one is um, I do have an accent, as you can uh, recognize by now, because I'm from Cairo, Egypt originally, even though I have been in America for uh, almost 13 years now. Uh, I don't think this accent will go away anytime soon, so I'm going to stuck with it. So hopefully you can understand what I'm talking about today. Let me ask you a couple of questions we get started. There is some of you over here who grew up in Nebraska and others who are international. So how many of you over here is international that did not grow up in Nebraska? Raise hands. So, so we have a we have few. Have anybody of, uh, here today has been in the Middle East or Egypt or uh, any of those countries? Zero. Have you ever met an Egyptian before? You did. Teachers too. Any of the students met an Egyptian before? Have you ever met a Muslim before? Some. Come. Any over here is a Muslim. Nobody's a Muslim? At least yet, right? Good. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying yet because here is the thing. You know, we, we are living in a very interesting times right now. And uh, my hope today is um, to give you some information to understand the times that we live in and also to be prepared as, you know, what is going to be happening uh, in your future as you got out of this uh, beautiful school and great community together when you sang together for, for Jesus, and then you go out and you see the diversity and uh, the ideas that is kind of dealed outside of the doors of this, um, you know, great school or even your homes and so forth especially for the internationals who grow up in different countries and coming over here and, uh, you know, and seeing Nebraska and uh, the great land, you know. One of the big questions that everybody asks me, why did you come to Nebraska? Um, and uh, that's, you know, everybody leaves everything in my testimony to ask me about that. I can tell you I love Nebraska, and I'm a great Husker fan right now. Uh, yeah, whoo, yeah, go Big Red. Whether we lose or win, you know, I, that's amazing. So... Um, one of the things that we are facing nowadays is when we talk about Islam specifically or anything that is different from uh, the things that we believe in, um, we always get called right away that you are not for uh, inclusiveness and you are against somebody or you're a bigot or you're hatred and all that kind of stuff. So my hope today uh, to introduce to you some ideas about how can we deal with this as you get out of school and go to college. How many of you want to go to college? Great. Wow. Praise the Lord for that. That's awesome. That's a great school right there. <laughs> um, so when you go to college, you're going to face different things. And you're going to see lots, lots of people out there who are not coming from the same background, who does not believe the same things that you believed, or coming from the same family values that you have, and they're going to, uh, you know, have different ideas out there. One of the things that you're going to face when you go to college, one of the things that many people in, in America don't know about is that the uh, Islamic organization, and, you know, like uh, many of them out there, there is an organization that you will see as soon as you go to college called Muslim Student Association. And they're basically in every uh, college nowadays uh, in America. And their main goal is to um, tell people about Islam and to uh, attack those who are going to be saying anything about Islam. And uh, they're going to try to brainwash you, and, you know, brainwash kids and so forth into believing in what Islam is. And why? Because they have political agenda and so forth uh, for the Islamic, uh, you know, uh, mindset and so forth. So 
When we are dealing with Islam, I want you to understand this. When I, if you have a good friend of yours who he is, uh, you know, on the same page like you are, and you grow up together, or you have been together for quite some time, and all of a sudden that friend did something wrong that you do not approve of, so you have you know, a couple of choices to deal with this situation. One is you're not gonna make a, f you know, be a friend with that person anymore. The other thing is you are gonna be telling him what you're doing or her, that you are doing something wrong and I don't agree with and I don't want to do that anymore and, and you try to give them a good advice. And another, th another option is you're gonna follow the accord and you become doing the bad thing that that person is doing. Those are the kind of the main three options when you are dealing with a good friend uh, who is doing something wrong or not agreeing with you or so forth. And when you are not doing any of that, if you actually dis you know, distance yourself from that person, then you are not a good friend because you are not helping that person. Is that true? Because, you know, you know my friend who I grew up with, all of a sudden doing drugs, for example. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna ditch that person, I'm not gonna talk to him anymore. Basically, you are ditching your friendship and your, you know, your obligation as a friend to stand up for your friend and telling him what he's doing wrong. And if you, on the other side, decided, you know what, because he's my friend and he's doing drugs, I'm gonna do the same thing with him because I'm gonna stand you know, and you know, do the same thing. And then you fall into the wrong direction as that friend. And then the other option is, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm going to be trying to tell him the right things and to try to help him out, to get out of what he's going through. And this is the best friend in my mindset. And this is what Jesus told us to do, make disciples of all nations. When we see somebody out there who is not on the same path and not doing the right thing and he is not understanding the, the gift of salvation that we get through Jesus Christ, then you know it is our obligation to help that person and that friend and that neighbor in any way we can to get them into the right path. And, 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 and we need to do that without being called names and be called uh, you know, that you are a hater or a bigot and so forth. So if we are going to be going out of this school, out of our communities, out of our homes to deal with the world out, out there with people who are lots of atheists and agnostic and God-haters and Jesus-haters and Christians-haters, condemn people who are Christians and so forth, or even condemning you know, anybody that uh, stands for the church or for, the, or for their beliefs and so forth, or also we're going to talk about those who believe completely different from us. And we can get sucked in a way to uh, try to be um, as much uh, being inclusive as much as we can. And sometimes we start compromising our beliefs and our, our, our things that we hold dear just to be included in the rest. Why I'm saying all of this? Because there is a big narrative out there that says that Islam, for example, as a religion, is equally valid and maybe in the same page like Christianity. We all believe in the same thing. This is a big narrative going out there. And if you say, no, I don't agree with this, then you are not uh, you know, on the same page like you are a bigot or a hatred and so, and so forth. I want to share a little bit of my background so you can understand how a Muslim life looks like. Because if you want to help somebody out there, and if you want to help yourself to stand firm in your belief, you have to understand and to be able to talk about the other, you know, and the problem, not the person. 
So when we are dealing with somebody who has a different belief from others, we can address that belief or address that problem without attacking the person himself. Whenever I talk about Islam, those out there who hates to hear anything about Jesus Christ try to use my own faith against me and telling me that you are a Christian, you're supposed to be loving. As if being loving means that you are not supposed to stand for the truth. In my opinion, in, in my belief, in my own conviction, in my own understanding of Jesus Christ, Jesus did not compromise a second of his life and he did not compromise all the way to the cross. And he died on the cross for my own sin. And it, his, him on the cross was a, 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 a reflection of him not compromising whatsoever. So we have to be standing firm in our faith without being hating the person but hating the sin. How did my life look like growing up as a Muslim? Few things that you need, I wish you to understand today so you can, you can have a, an idea of what Islam is. You know, when I was five years old, really my life started as a Muslim, very young age. Why? Because I was, I was growing up in a very devout Muslim family. My dad is a preacher, is a physician, is a military officer, he's many, many things. So I grew up in a, ho a home that is very conservative and very devout. Very early on, I started learning about Islam. And as a five years old, you know, I, I kind of learned so many things that shaped my life, you know, for a few years afterwards. One of the things that you, you know, probably don't understand much about uh, the significance of sin in Islam. You know, the, 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 the Muslim person, in, you know, I had this conversation with my son yesterday, and he was asking me, what is the name uh, Abdu means? So I said, means the slave of Allah. And he said, they call themselves in Islam slaves? And he said, yes. I told him, yes. The status of the human beings, according to Allah, according to Islam, that you are a slave to Allah. You are not born or not uh, made in the image of Allah or God in the, in the eyes of Islam. You, as a matter of fact, are, are made as a slave to Allah. So the Muslim believes uh, that Allah is the master and every human being is created as a slave to God or to Allah as they call him. And the main job for every human being who is created is to exercise his status as a slave throughout his life. The verses in the Quran says that the Muslim is born or the person or the human beings are born just to worship Allah all the time. All their life is all about worship. You know, when we talk about sin, we have the Ten Commandments and some extra stuff that we talk about, you know, we should do this and should do not do that. But the Ten Commandments is basically the main kind of, uh, you know, our uh, manual for understanding what sin is not. You are not supposed to kill, you are not supposed to lie, you are not supposed to covet, you are not supposed to do the things like this. According to Islam, the list is never-ending. Because if your job and you create it to be a slave, as the verses of the Quran, Quran is the, 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 script, the scripture of Islam, says that your life is all about worship. So entertainment altogether is forbidden in Islam. So if you believe in art, for example, you are not supposed to make drawing pictures and living things because that's a sin. 
If you uh, like acting, for example, you are not supposed to do that or pursue that whatsoever because it's a sin. If you are singing and if you're a girl, you are not supposed to do that because your voice and making, you know, using your voice, it's a sin. According to Islam, using any musical instrument that we have over here other than the drums is forbidden in Islam. So actually the founder of Islam, Muhammad, get out of his way to tell about what musical instrument is okay and what is not. And he said that any instrument that has strings to it is forbidden. There is a hadith, one of the sayings of Muhammad says that anybody who is an artist who draw portraits and he draw a portrait that Allah in the day of judgment will torment him into hell of fire and he will assign an angel for every portrait and every picture that he did that he will be tormented in hell for that picture. Muslims as I myself grew up believing this, that as soon as the person reach puberty, soon as they reach puberty, male or female, they change their status from a child to an adult. There is no such a thing as, you know, you are still in, you know, not fully adult or so forth. As soon as you reach puberty, you are an adult. You are going to be judged according to Allah, according to God in Islam, as an adult. And what that means is completely different from the ideas of our Christian faith. Number one is Allah assign every person as soon as they reach puberty two angels one on the right and one on the left in your mind you might think you know what angels are guarding angels you like to have two angels on your shoulders right some people would like that I you know I don't know but the idea in Islam is different that you have two angels to keep an eye on you that the one on the right side has a book in his hand writing everything that the person is doing good saying or thinking of that is good one on the left is doing the exact opposite. That is writing everything the person is doing or thinking of and saying that is bad. Imagine this. You know how many of us, and I have been in your age before, don't like anybody to be overwatching us like that. But according to Islam, those angels are watching over every human being from the day they reach puberty till the day they die. And in the day of judgment, the, 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 the book that is written by the angel on the right is going to be put against the book on the left on a scale. And that scale, if the one on the right tips, that decides the person goes to heaven. And the one on the left decides the opposite. And then goes on and on in multiple things in, in Muslim life. You know, the list of the sin, as I mentioned earlier, is an ever-ending. Ever there is lots of things that can be considered sin. And... Some people will tell you, you know, you know, Mark, or maybe with your information ideas is really not what is applicable to Muslims in America or Muslims in, you know, in uh, this is like the Middle East stuff. This is like Saudi Arabia. Those are ISIS guys. You know, another thing that you need to understand about Islam, that the free thinking and the free ideas of us in America or the church in America does not exist in Islam. What does that even mean? It means that Muslims does not have the right to change something in the Quran or change something to Islam or even make an interpretation of a verse or twist a word of Muhammad and so forth. You know, whatever Muhammad did, you know, Muhammad is the founder of Islam, by the way, for 23 years of his ministry, he did multiple things and he said multiple things. So for the example of 
you know, playing musical instruments. According to Islam, because Muhammad said, you cannot play an instrument that has strings to it. No imam, no mosque, whether in America or Saudi Arabia or in ISIS or Al-Qaeda or anybody else, can ever have the, 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 the guts to ever say that, you know what, Muhammad did not mean this really. And it's not really a sin. So what happens? There is lots of musicians out there who are Muslims, right? Right? Are you following me or are you sleeping? There is lots of musicians out there that are, you know, Muslims. Have you heard about that? No. There is a couple of rappers in America who are, are Muslims. So how, how they deal with this? They live every day thinking that they are under the heavy weight of sin. They feel like they are sinning by their career and by everything they are doing. And they are trying their best to find a way of redemption. Okay? All of us in, in the church believe that our sin has been buried with Jesus Christ and we are all redeemed by his resurrection. This is my belief right now. Right? According to Islam, there is no such a thing whatsoever. They believe that Jesus did never die on the cross. They believe in Jesus that was just a prophet. And the idea of redemption of sin is not for anybody to do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. So they live their life on a regular basis, on a daily basis, until they die, you know, keeping, you know, a record of every sin because there is an angel is writing that. And they are afraid of the day that they die and then they're going to be tormented in hell for everything they said, they said or did or not honoring Allah. And that includes their lifestyle, their job sometimes, the things that they did and they said and everything in their life. And it's up to them to be redeemed. One of, one of the things that Muslims are tormented with, you know, you hear about five times prayers. Have you ever heard that Muslims do five times prayers? You go to church, you think Muslims are doing something similar. The idea of prayers in Islam completely different from any worship that Christians do. The idea of prayers, the five times prayers, is that the person, the human being, has to show his status as a slave to Allah. So the main cause of the prayers is not to ask God for something or to, you know, plea with him or to ask him about my test or so forth. No, it's a set of same sayings and same verses and stuff that they say every time they pray. And the main component of the prayer is for the person to rub his forehead to the ground to show his status as a slave to Allah. What if a Muslim did not do it? Do you have any problem if you, didn't, if you missed a church Sunday? Do you have a problem when you do that? No? What happens if you miss a church? Your parents is not going to do anything, right? According to Islam, if somebody misses a prayer from the day they reach puberty and the, the day they die, they have to make it up. Otherwise, according to Islam as well, that their angel is going to come in their back uh, after they die in the grave, and they ask him about every prayer. And when the angel asks him about their prayers and if they did it or not, if they missed one prayer, a serpent will come from the back and hold them from the back and throw them down to seven earth and torment them for, for a bit for every prayer they missed. Imagine if somebody told you that about church and missing church. Imagine that. How does it feel like? If your parents came and tell you, you know what, if you miss a church day or a Sunday or so, I bet there is, if there is a pastor over here, he would like to hear that, right? He wants to get everybody to the church. 
But this is the way they, they do. And, and there is nothing on earth that you can get out of the five times prayers according to Islam. You have to keep account of it. I can give an example of my own mother. So my mother grew up a very uh, progressive Muslim, not the way I grew up. And she never prayed until she was maybe, uh, I think, 28, 30 years old. And when she realized her sin and realized the, 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 the number of prayers that she missed, she decided and make a commitment that because she's afraid of the snake and the angels asking her in the grave and all that kind of stuff, so she made a commitment that for every day when she prays from th that day on until she dies, that she will, instead of praying five times a day, uh, in the morning prayer she will do it twice or thrice, and the, the, uh, the midday do it uh, the same thing, so she can make up for all the prayers that she missed. This is the mindset. So they don't have the kind of an idea that I'm going to be saved and salvation and so forth. What about me and myself now and how I grew up? You know, I grew up with all of those beliefs and even more. I grew up understanding that I have a duty to pray five times a day and never miss one. I have an, a duty that to live as a good Muslim all, you know, all my life. I believe that the angels are on my shoulders like every Muslim belief. But then when I was 23 years old, you know, um, I was in medical school already, and I was already kind of doing my duties to the maximum, even was elevated to the level of, an, you know, uh, I started to be a teacher in Islam, in a way. And I started digging into the history and the theology of Islam a little bit more. So I can I understand, if really God is that angry God who is going to keep track of everything, is it really true that he has angels sitting on my shoulders to have books or not? And when I start digging into what is behind all of that, I found that it is not true. So you have to ask yourself, if your creator is really who he is, is he a loving God who sent his own son to die on the cross for your own sin? Or he is an angry God who is very judgmental. He's going to keep track of everything you do, and he will judge you accordingly, and nobody is going to be able to uh, take your, uh, your sin on his blood as Jesus Christ, you know, claimed to be. What is the truth? So if we go out, out of this school, out of our communities and so forth, and we start facing others who try to tell us, we believe the same thing that we all believe, or being a Christian is just not really cool, or you are condemning, or, or you are a very bad person, or you feel, you feel not inclusive enough when you're a Christian. The end of the day, you have to stand up for your faith, but you have to strengthen your faith and understand who you are in Christ. You have to understand if Jesus really is who he is or not. And how can you do that? By continue growing in your faith and understanding more and spending time in the Word and so forth. When I came to the conclusion at some point in my life when I was 23 years old that Allah is not really a real God, how did I come to that conclusion? By checking Muhammad's story himself, the founder of Islam himself. And I have seen how twisted he is and how things that he did did not make sense. And he was doing it for his own good, not for anybody else. And this is how we need to go and check who Jesus is as well and to find out, you know, his story and how his story fits with the complete story of God in the Bible. 
What does that even mean? Muslims claim that they believe in all the prophets. They believe in Abraham and Adam and, and Moses and all the prophets. But because they want to fit their narrative, they believe that all those prophets were Muslims. Does that make sense? Does it make sense that Islam who came at 570 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to come and claim that Jesus himself was a Muslim? This is what, what Muslims believe. They say that Jesus was a Muslim prophet. Adam was a Muslim prophet. Abraham was a Muslim prophet. And so forth. Why? Because Muhammad wants to take ownership of the prophets to fit his own narrative. But if we check the story of all the prophets, you will find that all of them were prophesizing about Jesus Christ and not ab about Muhammad as he claimed. So go back to all of, you know, to summarize what I, you know, how much time we have? Another five minutes? Yeah. Five minutes, okay. To summarize all of this that I just shared with you and I will uh, take some questions. When we are getting out of the school and start facing the world, we're gonna be confronted by people over there who wants to condemn us, condemn us for our faith and what we believe in. And there is people out there who wants to take advantage of who we are and try to twist us to hate our faith or to hate our church or to hate our country. We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared by the truth and to understand what is the other person really believes and what is the real intentions of people out there. We should not ever condemn people, but condemn the wrong ideas out there. As Jesus said, we hate the sin, we love the sinner. We should stand firm in what we believe in and who we are, and not to be bending backward to any ideas out there. How can we do this? By really educating ourselves and understanding what we believe in and what others believe in. I have a very long journey, actually, and even when I came to Nebraska, uh, I came in 2005. The main reason I came to Nebraska is I wanted to find a place will be a safe haven uh, away from any kind of Muslim communities and Muslim uh, influence in my life because I'm coming out of Islam. And by the way, when you come out of Islam and you wanted to be a Christian, it is very hard to find the tools and the means to get educated, understand that stuff in a country like Egypt because it's forbidden to convert out of Islam. Not only forbidden, but the, the, the punishment for that is death. Okay, and this is not something that, you know, ISIS do or anybody else do. As a matter of fact, everybody in Islam believes that. So I came to America for, uh, you know, reasons of my faith. As a physician in Egypt, and I lived in England for quite some time, I came over here at a job that I started at University of Nebraska Medical Center doing research in infertility and, uh, you know, uh, in, in the OBG1 department. And... I started getting into ministry. So I came up with, uh, you know, with a mindset that I want to mind my own business. I don't want to kind of get out and share my testimony and talk about faith and so forth. I want to stay safe and to pursue my dreams and my professional life and so forth. But then God started rolling me into ministry. This started by when I was at my church, Christ Community Church in Omaha, you know, and uh, you know, uh, a ministry was just about to... Uh, changed direction completely. It's called uh, Ashur Pregnancy Center, or at that time it's called Triple A CPC. Basically, it's a pro-life clinic that stands up for those who uh, wants to, um, you know, uh, have an abortion and kill their own babies, so they can help them out and and uh, give them better opportunities and better chances and better understanding and so forth. 
And I started with that ministry right away because it fits in with me, with my background and so forth. As soon as I started there, I found out that they don't have a clinic and my background is medicine. So I wanted to serve in ministry, but then I thought, you know what, my career, you know, and my OBGYN background as a doctor will fit very well with this. So I actually quit my job at, you know, University of Nebraska Medical Center, and I committed my life 100% for that pregnancy center. Started a clinic over there. We started with, you know, almost zero patients and end up after six, seven years, seven years exactly, more than 1,400 patients come to the clinic and so forth. So I feel like God blessed me big time in, in, in that ministry. But during that, my life in that ministry, I help a lot of young girls and young, uh, you know, uh, couples and so forth who are going through a crisis in their life, thinking that the only option in their life is abortion. And by doing ultrasounds and helping them with the first trimester and so forth, it, it was an amazing thing for me as a blessing. But the other thing is, throughout that ministry, I was able to be introduced to, you know, the culture and to understand how things work and the mindset of, you know, high school, you know, and college and, and uh, you know, disturbed neighborhoods and so forth. So I learned a lot from that. The other thing is, I was in ministry. So I was surrounded with people that... Uh, very encouraging and uplifting and so forth. And after I finished working at the pregnancy center because of what was going on, you know, in America in general regarding Islam, those people are surrounded me in this ministry, encouraged me to speak up and start sharing my testimony and start helping out, you know, others about the, the stresses of our times and the evils of our time. The evils of our time are a lot. Attack on Christianity and the church is unbelievable. Misunderstanding about Islam is beyond anything. The, the Islamist movements and the Islamic uh, organizations out there trying to devour our churches and our youth and, and all so forth. So we got together and we formed the Global Faith Institute, GFI. This is an organization and a ministry that started in Omaha, Nebraska. Like, like you shared, you know, the main mission is to inspire uh, the lost with the hope of Christ and to uh, raise awareness about the evils of our time and to sound the alarm for all who listen. Basically, what we are trying to do is to clear the deception and to try to put the foundation of the truth out there so people can understand. Like I said today, how many of you knows that Muslims live their life thinking that they have two angels sitting on their back? Uh, how many of you knows that the, there is no forgiveness of sin in Islam other by the works of their own hand? How many of you understood that, you know, the five times prayers and the understanding of that stuff? I mentioned some of that stuff because when you see a Muslim out there, you don't want to hate the Muslim. Muslim, but feel sorry for them. But at the same time, you are not supposed to compromise your own faith so you know you can be good friends and so forth. I would love Muslims and I love Muslims more than you can Im even imagine. But and I love the people who are there who are sinners and so forth. But I will never compromise my faith so I can be accepted. And as a matter of fact, I will step out, I step out of my way to help out every Muslim, every person who is not believing in Christ, who everyone is in crisis because he doesn't have Jesus in their life. So this is the main mission that we are working on. You know, um, I would, before I say it cost me, I would say what I gained in Christ. I gained life in Christ. Okay, so any loss that I got from an earthly perspective doesn't mean anything whatsoever. Why, why I'm saying this? Because, you know, um, 
throughout my life, I'm going to go very quickly to share some of the stuff. So I grew up, like I said, five years old in a very devout Muslim family. And I'm a firstborn, very devout. Uh, my dad was so pleased. Everybody was so, so pleased with me. So I gained the very high status in my own family and within my dad and have lots of privileges. When I start questioning Islam, every friendship and every support and every opportunity I had start turning against me. So I lived six, seven years, you know, and start everything like in a withdrawal kind of uh, situation, losing the opportunities and, uh, and, the, and the support from family and so forth. When I start looking into Christianity, then things were turning crazy. As a matter of fact, the epic of my life is in March 29, 2003. It happens to be today, by the way. March 29, and I always remember that day, March 29, 2003, which is a few years back, I woke up in the morning at 5 o'clock in the morning like today, but I was supposed to go meet my dad, and I was going over there to meet with him with the hope of reconciliations after years of anger and fights and so forth. As I walked into the place we were supposed to meet, I tripped while I was walking into that building, and I followed my face, you know, in a rug that I walked over multiple, multiple times before that. As a matter of fact, there was a, you know, a trap set for me to burn me alive. So instead of walking into the trap, God, by his own grace, made me fall down in a place that I'm not supposed to, and I fell down on my face, and the trap went off, the fire went on, and I burned my face, my hands, and, you know, multiple parts of my body. And I stayed in the hospital for three months, you know, in, in, you know uh, treated, and then another three months at home, cannot get outside in the sun. If you know anything about fire, when, you're, when your skin is burned, any sunlight will keep, you know, give it deep stain and keep scars. So the only way for me to be saved is to stay like a vampire, not ever see a sun. I stayed for six months without being in the sun. But it was by the grace of God that I was not killed. So even that by itself is not a big deal, right? And after that is when the moment in the ambulance when I was going to the hospital is a moment that I actually gave my life to Christ in a way. Even though I didn't know much about my faith, the, you know, as you grow up in faith and so forth. When you in the back of an ambulance because your own dad set a trap for you to burn you alive. And he's not an ISIS guy, by the way. He is a physician. You know, he is the best Muslim you can ever meet, okay? Very charitable, very good guy, and so forth. But because of his fear from his own Allah, he has to inflict that kind of pain on himself and kill his own son. So that day, when I was in the back of the ambulance, um, I think the, the whole hatred, the whole... Uh, ideas of Islam materialized on me burning and my wife and my son leaving them behind to know what is going to happen in, you know, in the future. So in the back of that ambulance is when I said to myself this. I said, I would never ever live as a Muslim in my life on one second in my life ever again. And I'm not going to live with that hatred again ever in my life. Even if leaving Islam will lead me to spend eternity in hell. I would take eternity in hell over living one second in my life as a believer in Allah anymore. 
And I will follow Jesus Christ even though I don't know him. But that God of love, I want him to be part of my life, to be every part of my life until I die. Even if I'm going to spend eternity in hell for believing in Jesus Christ. And guess what? Many, many years later, you know, actually two years after that, in 2005, when I was baptized, I learned that the best decision ever is to follow Christ, and you will never spend eternity in hell, but you will spend a loving life on earth and eternity with Jesus Christ afterwards. So those are the many most important days in my life. Uh, you know, from a material perspective, when I left Egypt, I left my home, I left my clinic, I left, you know, a nice home in Alexandria on the beach and so forth. I did not prepare myself to leave all that stuff behind, but I left. Did I suffer from that? At some point in my life, I did. I said, you know what, I leave all those material stuff over than million dollars actually in assets. I left them back in Egypt. I f sometimes, as a man, you know, I want to have those assets. You know, I'm not going to uh, lie to you. But when I look at the price that Jesus paid for me on the cross, there is no billions of dollars can worth that. So, yes, there is a sacrifice. There is a price. But when you look at the salvation and the freedom in Christ and the love that you live with every day and the blessings that you have in your life, even when life does not go your own way, when you know that there is a God who is in control, who is going to get you out of this onto the other side, he will depart the sea for you. You will find salvation the other side. Then there is nothing actually really matters.